Welcome to Season 3 of What Really Happened, produced by Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, Brian Gewertz, and Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, and this episode co-written by Alex Pepper. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks. The Executive Success Program, otherwise known as ESP and eventually called Nexium, a supposed self-help organization where you can achieve your personal and professional goals by attending workshops. These workshops will make you a better friend, a better neighbor, a better employee, a better person. And luckily for all of us, what it takes isn't that complicated. It's part of the reason why 17,000 people have gone through the doors at this organization seeking to better understand and realize their full potential. But once inside, what those in this organization find is quite different and quite darker. Welcome to Nexium. Meet Sarah Edmondson, author of Scarred, a fascinating book the New York Times called Riveting, Disturbing, and Brave. My background is Canadian from Vancouver, BC, and my parents are both in the mental health field. My mom's a therapist. My dad's a counselor. I was raised with very strong and good values, I believe, and had an education, went to university, uh, pursued acting, and thought that becoming an actor would be the way to have a voice and have an impact on the world. As that was something my parents always taught me was important to, to leave the world a better place. And uh, I was 28 when I I met somebody who introduced me to Nexium at a time when I was looking for more meaning, more purpose, community, and Nexium and, and executive success programs in particular, which is the personal development offshoot or outer ring of the group. Uh, that's what they promised, and that's what I believed I was getting. Like many people who have spoken of their involvement with Nexium, Sarah talks about feeling dissatisfied, discontent with her world, and the way in which she was moving through it, constantly searching for something that would instill a greater meaning or sense of purpose. It seems a lot of people feel that way. Perhaps that is what has led to this self-help culture that we currently live in, to be skinnier, more confident, stronger, kinder, more aware. Everything can be improved with the right diet, routine, and mindset. Struggling with self-image, and an increased self-awareness compared to friends on social media. And sometimes that gives people power. People who claim to have all of the answers. Mark Vicente was a filmmaker, still is a filmmaker, who introduced me to Nexium and ESP at a film festival. And I really respected him and his film and basically said, you know, whatever you're up to, I want to I want to work with you and I want to do it with you. And he said, well, if you liked my film, you may like this program I just took. And that's how it was presented to me. It was like a workshop. Um, it seemed benign in terms of obviously I had no idea what I was walking into and also exciting because it was working with people like Mark, who I really looked up to. So Sarah wants to be better, better at her job, better at her relationships. And along comes a peer who seems to be better, to have the things she wants. So she takes the leap. What does she have to lose, right? So 
my first experience with executive success programs after Mark introduced me to it was that I showed up at a seminar. It was actually the first one being produced in Vancouver. It was presented as a personal and professional development program. I thought I was actually walking into a room of, you know, hundreds or thousands, like a Tony Robbins concert or something. I, I didn't, I mean, I say concert, <laughs> I say concert loosely because I think that's what I, I perceived those sort of rah-rah, you know, you can change your life type of gatherings. I thought it was something more like that. It was actually much more intimate. It was nine people in a Holiday Inn boardroom. And there was probably more coaches from the company there than there were students. And they were all there to help us evolve, help help us be better versions of ourselves. I thought that that's what I was going to be getting. And... At the same time, I was very turned off in the beginning and wish I had trusted my intuition to get out. But, uh, you know, after day one, I called called Mark and said, what is this? This is so weird. And he said, I know it's strange, but, you know, stick with it. It gets it gets better. Wait till day three and then you can decide. You've already paid for it. So I kind of wanted, you know, I, I wanted it to be worth it. And when I when I got there, my one of the very first things that they said was, you know, all successful people are looking to find their limitations, right? Wouldn't you agree, Andrew, that most successful people are looking to improve in their life and see where they can, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, it was, it was set out in such a way that, and that's called, now I know it's a manipulative strategy called a double bind. So if you, if you want to be successful, you have to agree to that. Yes, I'm looking for limitations. The second thing is, they would say, if you feel uncomfortable, if you have the urge to bolt or to leave, that means that an issue is coming up for you and, and you want to work on that because that's why you came here to look at work on your limitations. So if you leave, you're, you're going to leave here with your limitation. So if you accept that, which I did because I trusted Mark, um, then anytime I feel uncomfortable or have the urge to leave, it means that there's something within me that I need to look at. Groups like Nexium are clever. They use people's own desires for improvement against themselves. We all have a subconscious system in us that tells us when something is off, a sixth sense, if you will, or intuition. But groups like Nexium strategically dismiss that as part of the obstacle that is in our way of achieving a higher way of thinking. They call it upgrading their belief system to solve the problem of how to be happy. And that's what they sell. The answers to every existential question. And the man who claimed to have the answers was Keith Raniere, known to his followers as Vanguard. Raniere co-founded Nexium in 1998, five years after his first business, Consumer Byline, was shut down after being investigated by 20 states for being a pyramid scheme. He's well-built, with long flowing hair, and a New York accent. If you asked him about his clothes, he'd say, oh, I just grabbed the first thing I saw in the closet. The type of man who says he is, without any evidence, a former child prodigy turned guru, claims to have a gross income of zero dollars, has an ability to affect the weather, and graduated from RPI with a triple major in biology, mathematics, and physics. Or maybe that's how he'd like you to see him. Sarah's description is far less flattering. Well, when I first met Keith, I had been told 
by Mark and other people who met him, I'd taken this training where we said, thank you, Vanguard, which is his name in the... <laughs> In the ESP, Vanguard means leader of a philosophical movement. So after every class, he'd say, thank you, Vanguard. So I'd been sort of bowing to him and, and from a distance paying tribute to him and, and thinking he was this amazing man. And by the time I met him, I was very underwhelmed. I, he was stocky, dorky, schlubby, not well-dressed, long, flowing, Jesus-y hair. And I was just like, who is this guy? You know, but thinking, what am I missing? Because... I've been told he's all of these other things. But to his followers, he was a philosopher, a modern-day wise man, which Sarah came to find. And over time, he definitely gained more of my respect. And, you know, he, he spoke very eloquently. He was very charismatic. He was good at, at what, what call, experts call word salad, which is basically saying a bunch of nonsensical things in a sentence in such a way that a listener might think, okay, I'm missing something and maybe I'm not smart enough to follow. Basically pontificating, you know, waxing poetic about various noble subjects and um, making him appear just so wise that you just almost can't quite grasp it. (laughs) I think the methods used to reel people in were varied, but ultimately it was, you know, dangling someone's value in front of them and hand, like a carrot and people came in for that reason. I came in because I have a value for community from a psychological point of view. I, I want, I want to, and I wanted to uh, belong and feel like I was doing something meaningful and purposeful in my life. And it was posed to me that this was a group of humanitarians changing the world. I mean, if that was true, that would be really exciting, right? <laughs> Keith Ranieri had the uncanny ability to see people's need for validation that their desires were real and important. And that gave him access to the most intimate parts of them. He became a key holder to the answer to their problems, and he knew it. And that's when things begin to get sticky. When a person or group of people gain that access, they can use it in terrible ways. These groups, they continue to push you under the guise of testing your limits and your commitment to improving until they have more control of your actions than you do of your own. As Sarah said, I think it's important for people to understand how these things work. And I try to to lay it out in a way that that people can understand and go, oh, I, I, I get it now versus like, oh, I would never join a cult. That's crazy. Nobody joins a cult on purpose. They're looking for something else. Beneath the self-discovery of Nexium lies a darker, more sinister level of this organization known as Dominus Obsequious Sororium, or DOS, which roughly translates to Master of the Obedient Female Companions. You can see where this is going. Now you might wonder, who would ever join something like this, let alone an estimated 150 women who ultimately joined? But as Sarah mentions... Of course, there's all sorts of people out there going, how does this woman, like, if someone had said to me, do you want Keith's initials on your body? Of course, I would have said no. It is, but it's not how, it, how it's done. They don't, in the, the metaphor of throwing um, a frog in boiling water, of course, it jumps out. But if you keep the frog in, in cool water and heat it up slowly, it dies. It's the same thing with a cult. It starts off as something very benign. Come to a party, Come to come play volleyball on the beach. Come come to our barbecue, and then you meet 
people would meet the people and oftentimes people, people would come to our events and just say, I don't know what you guys do, but I want to be a part of it. it just feels great. And that's a method uh, I now know is called love bombing. So somebody who's maybe recently divorced or moved to a new town and they meet a bunch of people and they feel loved and they feel part of something and they feel special or taken care of, whatever it is that they need, if they get that, it's, you know, they're in. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. How lucky am I to have found these people? And then you know, the rest played out from there. The rest that Sarah mentions is like something out of a HBO Emmy award-winning drama. Under the guise of female empowerment, DOS allegedly recruited women to be Rainier's sex slaves, although it referred to itself as a sort of boot camp for women who wanted to demand more of themselves. It started with one of Nexium's programs, known as Jeunesse, which cost $5,000 for an eight-day workshop. As Rainier himself explains in an interview with a fellow Nexium member, We could work out the other stuff. But people just get all trapped in that sort of a thing. So yeah, you know, well, what's Jeunesse about? Jeunesse is about people been brought up and identified themselves as a woman. Uh, if someone identified themselves as a man, even if they were a woman and they were treated that way, Jeunesse may not even apply to them. We have another organization, SOP, that is for men. And then there might be some people that unfortunately don't fit in either camp. And you always have that when you have... You know, you, you have people, I, I knew a, a woman in my high school, at my public high school, who was albino, African-American. Wow. She didn't fit anywhere. Mm. She was African-American with white, white, white skin, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, a lot of people experience that sort of a thing. The only way we're ever going to resolve those questions, because you're not going to have an absolute resolution like that, is be a humanist. Right. This is a human being you're dealing with, right. more importantly than any of those descriptors. Yeah, that, I guess that's just the toolbox you get to express yourself or experience yourself is mm -hmm. the other features. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then Rainier introduced his followers to a concept called collateral, or collateralizing your world, which members understood to be adding extra leverage to your conscience. For women, collateral meant more than just money or valuables. It needed to be something that, if lost, would punish you or damage you. A nude photo, a video confessional about a law you'd broken, maybe even the deed to your house signed over. This was true collateral, the most direct way to show your trust. And only through complete trust could you truly love another person. Women who became members of DOS were expected to give over such collateral. One of the female leaders of DOS was Allison Mack, known for her acting work in the hit series Smallville, where she played Clark Kent's childhood friend and confidant, Chloe Sullivan. Mack was used in DOS as a recruiter for other women, inviting them to join under the guise of female empowerment. Also, Mack was... Rainier's personal, quote-unquote, slave, a term they often use to describe the hierarchy of DOS. The person, most often a woman, except in Rainier's case, who invited you to the group was your master. Your master was the person you looked up to and would be in charge of any punishments or failures 
to uphold the DOS standards. According to an incredible feature in the New York Times Magazine, quote, masters would help slaves count calories to save them from the trap of emotional eating, according to other women in the group. Masters would dictate an act of self-denial, like cold showers or rousing yourself from bed at 4 a.m. and standing stock still for a time. Slaves were told to do acts of care for masters, perhaps bringing them coffee. Slaves might be told to abstain from orgasms, ostensibly to heal their negative sexual patterns, end quote. The article reported that Mack had said this was about devotion and like any spiritual practice or religion. Mack added, you're dedicating your life one way or another. DOS was, quote, about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves by pushing on our greatest fears, by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, by holding our word, by overcoming pain. And pain they had. Because it not only was members beholden to a master, but they were reminded every day of their vow by a cauterized brand in the form of Rainier's initials. Beyond that, some of the members of DOS were forced to have sex with Rainier as a sign of their commitment to the group. And if you didn't, it was a sign of disloyalty and you would lose all of your quote-unquote sisters. And so Nexium and DOS ran free from 1998 to 2018 when Rainier was arrested in Mexico on charges of sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. Under the guise of improvement and quote-unquote family, how did they stay secret for so long? Well, you remember that double bind that Sarah mentioned? One of Nexium's 12 mission statements reads, The methods and inspiration learned in ESP are for my use only. I will not speak of them or in any way give others knowledge of them outside ESP. Part of the condition of being accepted into ESP is to keep all of its information confidential. If I violate this, I am breaking a promise and breaching my contract. But more importantly, I am compromising my inner honesty and integrity. In other words, do as we say, or you have failed yourself. It was a con all along. So what exactly is a cult? I tracked down the expert on these matters, Rick Allen Ross. Rick started dealing with cults in 1982. It grew out of a personal situation where a nursing home where my grandmother lived was infiltrated, that is the paid professional staff, by a fringe religious group targeting the elderly. I became a community activist, organizer, and eventually started doing intervention work. I have done 500 interventions throughout the United States and around the world. Rick has testified as a court expert in 11 states, including U.S. federal court. He lectures around the world and wrote the fascinating book, Cults Inside Out, which has a chapter about large group awareness training, and that includes Nexium. So my first question, we throw the word cult around quite a bit these days. But what is the actual definition? 
I think the best definition is uh, one that was arrived at by Robert J. Lifton in a paper he published, Cult Formation, in the 1980s. And I think what Lifton did was he identified the nucleus for a definition of a destructive cult, which is number one, a charismatic authoritarian leader who is the defining element and driving force of the group and who has no meaningful accountability. Two, that the group uses a synthesis of coercive persuasion and influence techniques, or what Lifton called thought reform, to gain undue influence over people in the group. And then finally, number three, that the group uses undue influence to do harm, to exploit people. And that varies by degree from group to group. So some groups are just after the money, other groups, uh, sexual favors, uh, could be physical abuse, medical neglect, and it could escalate to the point where it becomes uh, violent and criminal. Rick has even tried to intervene on cases involving people who were in Nexium. The process of getting someone out of a cult is not easy. Rick Allen Ross has run over 100 interventions during his career. The intervention process is basically an educational seminar or process that goes on for about three or four days with family. In a sense, it's kind of like a drug or alcohol intervention, but it breaks down into four basic blocks. Number one, uh, a discussion about defining what is a destructive cult. Number two, talking about coercive persuasion, thought reform, influence techniques, and how they might be used to gain undue influence by the group. Number three, what information about the group the person is involved in do they not know and should they know before they keep going further and become more involved with the group? And finally, four, what concerns does the family, spouse, adult children have about the group and why are they so concerned about their loved one's involvement? So you take those four blocks and you discuss them over a period of typically three to four working days, eight hours a day. So an intervention takes about 24 to 32 hours. Rick has led interventions with individuals who were in Nexium. In one case, there were four individuals, all from the same family. Well, let me talk first about the Nexium case that failed with uh, the eldest son uh, of the family that retained me. Uh, he uh, was invited by the family on a vacation. They went to Florida. It was uh, around Christmas time. And uh, we basically conducted the intervention primarily on a private beach attached to a resort hotel. The problem that I had was that he was constantly texting and talking to Nancy Salzman, who was uh, the second in command of Nexium immediately below Keith Ranieri. And I could literally hear uh, Salzman uh, talking on the phone and coaching him. And no matter how much his family pleaded with him to, you know, give it a break, take a rest, and not talk to Salzman. He kept communicating with her, and she sabotaged that intervention. Uh, Eventually, he would lose a great deal of money 
uh, through his involvement with Nexium. The other interventions were different. Uh, one daughter I met at the parents' house, uh, that went very well. Uh, and then another intervention occurred at uh, their daughter and son-in-law's home. Uh, that was rough going, but eventually it was successful. And they also left Nexium. So three of the adult children left and one stayed. And uh, the interventions were conducted in different locations, but always with the parents present. Rick's crusade against Nexium got personal. Well, my personal experience with Nexium lasted, uh, you know, pretty much 14 years. Uh, I did the interventions in, I believe it was 2002, 2003. And then uh, one of the adult children of the family that I mentioned that was concerned about Nexium, she gave me her study notes. And those study notes were the basis for three reports written by two doctors, a clinical psychologist and a psychiatrist. And they were published on the website, uh, which is called the Cult Education Institute or culteducation.com. Subsequently, they were the basis also for an article in Forbes magazine uh, that was a cover story. Keith Ranieri, the leader of Nexium, became incensed, very angry. Uh, he threatened me with a lawsuit. Then when I refused to take the articles down, uh, he sued me. The lawsuit dragged on for over 13 years. And Ranieri spent millions of dollars in legal fees and costs and hundreds of thousands of dollars with private investigators to pursue me, have me under surveillance. At one point, they even bought my garbage. I lived in a high-rise building in Jersey City, New Jersey, right on the Hudson opposite Manhattan. And uh, one of our custodians in the building came to me and said that the garbage chute didn't work and uh, that I should just put my garbage out by the door. I did that for weeks, and I later found out that there was nothing wrong with a garbage chute. That was just a subterfuge, and he was selling my garbage to the private investigators who were going through it. Uh, they uh, illegally went into my banking records and my phone records, which I later found out, and they even hired an actress to pose as a mother to set me up in a phony intervention that never took place. Uh, it, they wanted to get me out on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean to do this intervention. And when I said that I would not meet with the um, make-believe adult child alone, uh, they canceled the intervention. I don't, I don't know what they had planned. Ultimately, uh, Ranieri lost his lawsuit. It was dismissed in federal court. And when he was prosecuted, I ended up testifying against him for the prosecution in federal court uh, this past May. Uh, and I saw him for the first time since uh, we had court-ordered mediation regarding uh, the lawsuit that was dismissed. It was bizarre. I mean, there he was in the courtroom. And before when I had met him, he was very condescending, very arrogant. But when I met him or saw him in the courtroom, uh, he was a greatly reduced person, to say the least. While making this episode, I keep coming back to wondering whether cults always include a religious element. Well, I think Nexium illustrates the fact that groups called cults are not necessarily religious. Uh, some people have mistakenly called cults 
generically new religious movements or NRMs. Uh, many cults, and Nexium is a prime example, have nothing to do with religion at all. They're selling seminars, they're selling martial arts, meditation, they might be a multi-level marketing scheme, uh, they could be political. So the idea that they have to be religious is, 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 is a misnomer and it, it's not true. Uh, the other thing about Nexium that we see are people that are very intelligent, highly successful people becoming involved in a destructive cult. And it's a bait-and-switch con. I mean, you see what they want you to see, and they deceptively recruit you. And I think that's crucial for people to understand, is that it's a confidence game, and that uh, cult leaders do not tell you what they really want from you, and they don't tell you actually what they have in store for you or what they plan to do to you. It's only after you get involved and they begin to marinate your mind with, as they say, Kool-Aid, or, or they get to a point where they have undue influence over you and they have you hooked and they have you locked into their bubble and isolated and cut off, that they start talking about the more nefarious things that they're going to do. I mean, that's how these women were branded in Nexium. It wasn't like Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman initially said to all of these people, these women that were tortured, we're going to brand you. You're going to be in a sex cult. No, they were originally pitched. This is a, a, a personal growth seminar. It's about women and empowerment. It's about living a fuller and better life, blah, blah, blah. And, and that got women involved, and that got men involved, and they had friends that were involved, and they saw other people that were successful, that were wealthy, that were celebrities that were involved, and this lured them in. So I think we need to disabuse ourselves of silly notions about destructive cults. For example, only weak-minded people or idiots become involved or losers become involved. I think Nexium is a prime example of that that is a complete misconception. So what? Should we all be wary of joining a cult? Well, actually... I think what cults say about people's minds is that our minds are very fragile, that we're easily influenced. We can see that from advertising our susceptibility to things like celebrity endorsements uh, and political propaganda, negative political ads that uh, change poll numbers. People are very suggestible, very malleable, and we all go through bad patches where we're more, more vulnerable than we would normally be. And at that point, somebody can have the bad luck of running into an, an abusive, controlling uh, love interest, um, as many women do, or they could run into a destructive cult and be sucked in. So I think all of us are potentially cult members, and just like many of us could be in an abusive, controlling relationship and not realize it for a long time. As reported by E.J. Dixon of Rolling Stone, during his court hearings, Keith Ranieri would wear a jewel-toned crew neck and khakis, looking less like the head of a BDSM sex cult than a Latin instructor at a New England prep school. Assistant U.S. Attorney Tanya Hajar said during her opening remarks that the defendant maintained a charade. Even though he controlled the victim's lives, it was about female empowerment. She added he was a mentor 
but he was a predator. He was a leader of a criminal organization. On June 19th, 2019, Ranieri was found guilty of all counts, including sex trafficking, conspiracy, and conspiracy to commit forced labor, all related to DOS, the quote-unquote secret sisterhood within Nexium. He is scheduled to be sentenced in early 2020. Ranieri faces a mandatory minimum prison term of 15 years and a possible life sentence. Next week on What Really Happened, she got picked up in the lift she had ordered. The driver then pulled out a gun. She was gang raped and then dropped off at her destination. That's next week on What Really Happened. If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks, or go to jenkspod.com for more information on the sources for this podcast.